Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. Hey, soccer fans! <laughs> Welcome to Defending in Numbers. The podcast where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about soccer than we actually do. My name is Rob Armstrong, and I've just found out that Nick English has a half-American dad. So, uh, yeah, there's that. He's going to tell me about football because he's a football genius. Nick, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very, very well. Uh, slightly embarrassed by my own actions. Uh, we're also joined <laughs> by a debutante, Joel Rabinowitz, who is obviously... Stunned by the American <laughs> accent and immediately wants to leave. How are you, Joel? I'm very well, thank you. So this is, of course, Defending in Numbers, a podcast which you can find on Deezer, where you can also find lots more great podcasts, live Premier League commentary and football playlists. Download the app or go to the website. That's what your dad would probably do, wouldn't he, Nick? Yes. Loves Just the website. after reading the Telegraph, he'd go Deezer.com. Mr. English, what a champion. I'll tell you what else he'd like. He'd like to move on to the first segment, Week by Numbers. The week by numbers. So let's start with the number 83, and that's the average number of games Chelsea managers take charge under Roman Abramovich. Antonio Conte coming under the cosh a bit recently, lost by three goals in two consecutive games, I think. And uh, yeah, that was his 88th game. So he's above average, and I would say it's looking like it might be his time to go. Uh, Joel, Antonio Conte, is he a dead man walking? I think it's more of a matter of time than anything else, to be honest, at this point. I'd be surprised if he got sacked within the next couple of games. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they sort of gave him until the summer uh, and sort of looked at their options then. Uh, I think it's been kind of quite a long time coming now. Uh, he's been making noises. Even last season, obviously, there was a whole kind of breakdown of his relationship with Diego Costa uh, during the season. And he's been kind of making sounds that he's not too happy with the board. Uh, the players that he's been signing um, and the resources he's been given. You think some of the players have been linked to recently. I mean, in January, it was almost like every other day there was a new kind of target man over 30. You know, you had Ashley Barnes, Peter Crouch. Um, seems like he's having some sort of internal meltdown, to be honest. Um, and ended up with Giroud, which I suppose is not too bad. But the Ross Barkley one was a bit of a strange transfer as well. Um, you know, the stage of his career he was at, you're thinking his next move might be something like. West Brom, Stoke, a lower Premier League club. And it's a bit of a surprise to see Chelsea taking him on. And like you say, that's now, I think it was Bournemouth before that. Um, and then obviously the Watford game was just pretty much a travesty for them. And I think a lot of the focus this season in terms of the top four has been on kind of will Spurs break in ahead of Liverpool? Will they be able to push them out? But I don't think it's beyond the rounds of possibility that Chelsea could be the one that drop out and both Spurs and Liverpool get in. Yeah, that Watford game was shambolic, wasn't it? It didn't even look for a second like Chelsea were going to win that. And Bakayoko <laughs> is my word horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I mean, I feel for Bakayoko because he's not uh-huh. really the sort of player who's good at receiving the ball with his with his back to goal in midfield, turning on it, spraying a pass. That's really not his game. And he was put in a midfield two alongside N'Golo Kante, um, who's not really blessed with that natural skill either. So a lot relied on Bakayoko to be able to hold off his man and spray the passes. And he just he just had an absolute nightmare. And you could see he was just trying to get into the game. He was trying to, like, let's win a tackle, let's win a tackle. He got two yellow cards trying to win a tackle. Um, and, and again, it kind of points to Conte. It was a very cautious approach. He obviously was concerned about the defence having conceded three goals against Bournemouth. But you know, if you concede three goals against Bournemouth, maybe look at your defence. And I think 
Gary Cahill has, has been the common factor in their their recent poor performances. He's been really, really bad. Um, the th- the thing is with with Chelsea is that they're actually doing quite well this season relative to the the amount they spend and their wage bill and the size of the squad they had. Yes, they won the title last year, but you could argue that was a huge overachievement given the outlay that Man United and Man City had put into effect. They're in the Champions League still, you know, um, although that might end very badly because they're playing Barcelona. (laughs) They weren't last year as well. I guess that's a thing for why they won the title. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, We've had two consecutive Premier League title winners who, who weren't you know who weren't in Europe, who weren't in other competitions, but they got to the semi-final of the Carabao Cup and came up came up against a sort of one of those inspired Arsenal performances in a cup competition. Uh, so they're doing pretty well on all fronts, but the team just seems to have completely given up. I mean, there are really some very worrying signs. For example, uh, I was watching uh, the game against Bournemouth, and Eden Hazard was getting the crap kicked out of him, and none of his teammates seemed to care. You know, and that's always a worrying sign when your star player, the one who basically everything goes through him, if he's getting fouled that much and your teammates aren't backing him up, then it's it's a bit worrying. Mm. Uh, I, I agree with Joel. I think they'll wait to the end of the season, mostly because there's uh, there was a report in the Times yesterday that his uh, to fire him it would cost about twenty seven million pounds. I just don't think Chelsea can spare that kind of money. Um, so. Yeah, very, very frustrating time, especially because um, in the same report in the Times, they were saying that there's a, there's a huge frustration in the Chelsea backroom that Conte won't take responsibility for his own signings. So he mm. signs Ross Barkley, suggests they sign Ross Barkley, they go out and guess, get Ross Barkley, and then he just lambasts him in the press. Well, yeah, because there's a couple of them that have come in. Like Bakayoko was his signing, wasn't it? And like yeah. Zappacosta was definitely a Conte signing. He got him, and he's been an yeah. absolute... Rudiger as well. Flop. Maratta as well. Yeah. yeah. Was Maratta his first choice? It was... Didn't he blame Morata on them not getting? I think he wanted Lukaku, Lukaku at first, yeah, yeah and yeah. then went for him afterwards. Well, Strange situation, yeah. Especially as the whole Diego Costa thing. I don't think Diego Costa would have minded being switching up with Morata. I think he would have been okay no. being. Second, and I think it's quite string. easy. Obviously, everyone last season remembers that unbelievable unbeaten run. I think was it thirteen, fourteen games they won in a yeah. row. Uh, and a lot of those performances weren't actually all that good from the team. Uh, a lot of them were kind of really narrow, scrappy victories, which yeah, came one from, nil goals of Diego, which came Costa, from right? Diego yeah. Costa. And Morata just hasn't been doing that this season. Uh, obviously, he started pretty well, um, scoring lots of headers, but not doing an awful lot else. And I think it's kind of not that surprising. Uh, you look at a player like Morata, I think he's, what, 24 now? He's not that young anymore, but this is sort of the first first season of his career really where he's been kind of the first choice at a major club he's always been kind of a second or a third choice uh, he's come in and played a few games and then dropped out the side and I think kind of having that amount of responsibility for him is a massive change and he's he's kind of gone off the radar recently completely yeah it's uh, scoring only with your head isn't ideal is when you're no. 60 million <laughs> signing just a sexy Andy Carroll really um, the last two is it the last two Chelsea managers have been sacked after West Brom games no it's just Andre Villas-Boas and so who are we looking at with replacements here I've got a Luis Enrique for you yeah. I've got a Thomas Tuchel <laughs> a Carlo Ancelotti or one of the uh, one of the former interim managers uh, Gus Hiddink Gus Hiddink's always <laughs> on speed always dial linked with it. always on speed dial I mean, can't do that one again Mr. Even Keel Mr. you know <laughs> if if I was on you know any any of the HMSs and we were in dire need of stabilising, I would call Gus Hiddink to be like, Gus, we've got a problem here. Um, I mean, the thing is, is that, as you said at the top, 83 is the average number of games permanent Chelsea managers take charge of. I mean, 
it's not that much different for most clubs, to be honest. I remember the the owners of um, of Man City when they took over. They said we believe in three year manager cycles. Um, so we're not looking at a, a huge discrepancy away from that. We're looking at one, maybe two seasons. So everyone's saying that oh, Chelsea need to build a dynasty, you know, blah 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 blah. I don't, I don't really think that's right. Um, of those options, I'd love to see Ancelotti back at Chelsea. I think that was that was a brilliant fit. They were a great team. That four four two diamond mm-hmm. worked fantastically. Um, and also, you know, it just allows Abramovich to do his uh, semi-director of football thing with whoever it is. I know they haven't got Emanalo anymore, who seems to be a huge miss, but I think that'd be a great fit. Mm-hmm. Um, Enrique would be interesting in the Premier League. I think it'd be interesting to see yeah. what he does. Um, Especially with Pep there as well. Yeah, yeah. Get the two Barcelona ways of life. Yeah. Ways oh. of management. It'd be worse than the pre-match Jurgen Klopp, Wagner oh, sort of loving, yeah. wouldn't it? Imagine the absolute wank fest. Uh, <laughs> let's go on to the next number. That's number six, uh, which is the number of Premier League goals Harry Kane has scored against Arsenal. So he got uh, got to his 100 milestone last week. The contentious, or was it, penalty against Liverpool? Actually, the one he scored wasn't, in my opinion, even remotely contentious. But that's another issue, everyone. Joel, you're, are you a Liverpool? I am fan? a Liverpool fan. I'll so, well, I was gonna, uh, yeah, I know. I, I just Lord. saw, I just saw some dagger eyes. <laughs> <laughs> give your opinion. Give you, give you a piece on it now. now before we talk about on Harry the Kane. second penalty, of the first, the one. second one, second one. It's the kind. If it was say for me, no, in the same position, I'd probably want it. I think it's one of them. It's fifty-fifty. If you support the team, you're gonna say mm. no. I think Van Dijk is clumsy there. He shouldn't be dangling a leg out. That said, I think the actual contact was pretty minimal and Lamello was sort of falling already. Uh, he definitely bought it, but then if, if it's a 94th minute and you're looking for an equaliser, you want your striker yeah. to do that. So it's one of them, isn't it? But the first one, dive. first one is definitely a dive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. dive. Good, I'm glad we can all agree. We're getting on to diving, aren't we, yeah. later? Yes, We're getting on yes to we it. are. This man has read his agenda. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the the North London derby then, because Harry Kane obviously has some pretty good form against Arsenal. In fact, he says they inspire him. Mm. Um, how how are they going to cope with him? Nick, you're you're an Arsenal fan. I'll, I'll I'll come to you. Are you terrified of Harry Kane? Well, no, because um, Arsenal. Have, uh, uh, this is this is probably going to come back to haunt me, but. Arsenal have sort of figured out how to play Spurs, um, which a lot of teams have copied since, um, which actually Liverpool did very, very effectively, especially in the first half. Yeah. Uh, you press them high up the pitch when they've got the ball, you target Davinson Sanchez with long crossfield balls, uh, and you sit fairly deep so you don't allow them to, uh, you don't allow the fullbacks to get in behind you. Arsenal sort of played a three at the back against them earlier on in the season, and made it look quite easy and Spurs were in really good form at the time and Arsenal were not in good form it was a win which kind of surprised everyone Arsenal went back to playing terribly afterwards and they were playing terribly beforehand if uh, Wenger replicates those exact tactics and Pochettino deploys his plan A which which he always does then um, I'd be I wouldn't be surprised to see Aubameyang cause Davidson, San- Davidson Sanchez a lot of problems but um Someone like Harry Kane, he just needs a mistake to score a goal, and Arsenal make a lot of mistakes. Um, also, um, I, I know we're gonna we're gonna talk about it, but uh, Spurs are really good at getting into the penalty area, running at you at pace, and they don't seem to be need many invitations to fall over. Arsenal also love conceding penalties. Mustafi, Koscielny, they they've always been rash tacklers, and they they always will be. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a penalty shout uh, a legitimate one and uh, Harry Kane steps up to, to mm. bury his seventh goal in uh, against Arsenal are we are we anticipating a Deli Ali dive here 
sex tape. Some form like? of shit. Some form of shithousery. Uh, <laughs> preferably not on Snapchat. Um, yeah, Joel, you, you obviously saw your team play yeah. Spurs last week. What, where do you think the kind of uh, gap in their armour is for Arsenal to exploit? I think, like you said, the first half Liverpool played almost a perfect game. Uh, I haven't seen kind of as te- a team as good as Spurs so unable to kind of play out from the back uh, as they were. I think Liverpool just sort of covered the spaces so well and put them under so much pressure early on. Uh, like you mentioned, Davison Sanchez was a real weak link and I think we saw that. Um, Sadio Mane has not been in the best form this season but there's a couple of times where he was just pondering on the ball, Sanchez, and we were able to nick it off him and get straight in behind. Uh, and I think that was the kind of real disappointment as a Liverpool fan uh, at half-time. It was only 1-0 the amount of times so we kind of stole the ball, had three or four players uh, against three or four defenders and we could have made the most of it and the final ball was missing or the shot wasn't accurate enough. Um, and I think, like you said, they are there to be got at if you do put them under enough pressure early on. I think the difficulty with Spurs is they're such a kind of just a fit team under Pochettino that they get stronger mm. as the game goes on. And I think that's what you saw against Liverpool kind of straight from the start of the second half. Um, they kind of seized the initiative. Um, they've been all over the place in the first half, but they were just, they really impressed me in terms of just how patient they were. They weren't carving out loads of kind of clear cut opportunities, but they were just kind of very sure in their methods, moving the ball quickly side to side. Um, I think Dembele is one to watch this weekend. I thought he was fantastic. Um, yeah. And there's very few midfielders like him who can pick the ball up with three or four opposition players in front of him and just sort of goes past all of them. Um, Wanyama's another one. He's always played very well against Arsenal. He seems to be very good at the niggly fouls. Um, One interesting thing would be if if Wenger starts Wilshere and uh, Pochettino starts Dembele, those two have serious previous. Wilshere seems to be one of the... epic beef. Well, yeah. Wilshere seems to be one of the very few players that can get under Dembele's skin and not many can. Moussa Dembele just hates Jack Wilshere. So it'd be interesting (laughs) to see if they both play because that would be really entertaining. I would worry a little bit about Arsenal's midfield. I think that's probably one of the areas uh, where Spurs are kind of... (laughs) look quite superior um, I've, I've seen Arsenal play quite a lot this season with kind of Xhaka um, and either Wilshere, Ramsey or Elneny and Xhaka's another one I know we talked about Bakayoko earlier he's another midfielder who just there's no obvious thing that he's really good at and especially in terms of tracking back his defensive work rate his positioning is obviously not a strong point he gives away a lot of stupid fouls um, and especially against a team like Spurs where so many of their goals come from runs in midfield the likes of Dembele Deli Alli Eriksen getting into the box you kind of need your midfielders to track back uh, that's what Liverpool didn't do so well in the second half um, and obviously that's not a, a strong point of Arsenal so mm. actually let's talk about the strong point of Arsenal because obviously they made the Aubameyang signing the Mkhitaryan yeah. signing uh, three assists in his first game for Mkhitaryan <laughs> a nice offside goal for Aubameyang yeah there is enough there for them to really trouble Spurs, as well as Mesut Ozil, who only needs one more assist and he becomes the fastest player in Premier League history to record 50 assists. Eric Cantona, currently the fastest. Yeah, which which surprised me a bit. Um, you, you always look at Cantona's goal-scoring record. It's not as it's not quite as good as you think, despite he was so, the fact he was such a talismanic player for them. But his assist record is absolutely astonishing. Um, one th- one one thing about the McTiernan transfer, which nobody really thought about when he joined, they were like, "Oh, great, he can dribble, he can create." He's basically like another Özil, like he's gonna go. He's gonna improve shirt sales in Armenia. Yeah, it, which is vital, <laughs> vital. Um, but the the thing which McTiernan allows uh, allows Özil to do, which um, was very very clear 
um, when they absolutely pasted Everton, is that Ozil loves just drifting around, picking up space and sort of building those attacks in the final third. He doesn't really need to be playing the killer ball. Yes, he gets a lot of assists, but mostly on the counter, he really likes playing those those sort of incisive through balls or those, those crosses. In open play, those, those sort of little in-between passes, McTierian's really, really good at them. So it allows McTierian to be that sort of playing those dagger final balls and Mesut Ozil can just sort of weave everything in between. He's been doing both for so long for Arsenal. Arsenal fans have been screaming about how good Mesut Ozil's been the past about 12 months and, and this is why is because he's been doing so much for us. The output hasn't been that high but he's such a vital, vital player um, and the, the two of them together is really, really good to watch. Yes, it makes Arsenal quite narrow but you know, I think that's, that's a price to pay. It's funny, isn't it, Joe, how, how everyone always gets on the back of Arsenal but if they win this they're only one point behind Spurs yeah. and, and they made I think they still didn't get their defensive midfielder but they probably never will <laughs> uh, they made some brilliant signings and then yeah, like, like I say if they win one point behind Spurs all of a sudden it's not that bad a season at all is it? Yeah I think that's the aim of kind of any club going into January transfer window you want to come out the end of it stronger than you were going into it um, obviously as a Liverpool fan I don't think we did that Arsenal very much have done they've got rid of a player who wasn't in good form and Sanchez clearly didn't want to be there wasn't motivated at all replaced toxic, him toxic apparently wasn't he didn't Welsh just say to- it was toxic 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 that's a real sure, fashionable uh, word at the moment isn't it I'm not sure I think that's obviously quite overstated in the media I think he's, he's still one of those players who you're going to want him on the pitch uh, regardless of whether he wants to be there or not but like I said Mkhitaryan's a player with a point to prove didn't quite work out for him at Man United he's got another chance now Bamiang obviously has been kind of playing at the top level uh, in Europe for quite a while but hasn't quite had that move to a huge club um, it's a bit of a surprise move I think that he, he chose Arsenal given kind of the situation they're in um, but yeah like you say they, they do have this ability in recent seasons to sort of hang in there when you think they might just be out of the picture in terms of top four um, last season they did it as well you kind of thought there's no way they'll break in and they just they have this ability to sort of string five, six, seven wins together out of nothing and like you said if they do win this and they're right up in the mix again um, and I think one of the things we're talking about Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan often fans talk about kind of signing players like that mid-season and need time to settle develop a relationship with other players um, and that can take a bit of time for them to adapt them to the new style and a new manager and all that I think in terms of Spurs as well it, it, it might kind of work in Arsenal's favour a little bit but they've, they've obviously played each other a lot of times they know exactly kind of how to deal with Arsenal um, they know their kind of patterns of play which players to look out for and that's kind of a massive uh, kind of bit of unpredictability now you don't know how Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang going to link up um, and lots of those Spurs players I imagine won't have played against these players in this team before so mm. yeah it's not going to be as easy for them to prepare for the threat that Arsenal have I don't think this time Just, it, a, just oh. a very simple tactical thing is uh, having Aubameyang means that Spurs can't play a high line which means that it relieves a lot of pressure on Arsenal yeah. to bring the ball out the back, which is probably the reason why Wenger's gone back into the striker transfer market, is Lacazette doesn't have that explosive pace. Mm. Right, well, let's talk about the last team that Arsenal spanked then, and that's Everton. Let's get on to the, the walrus himself, Sam Allardyce, who says Wayne Rooney and Gilfie Sigurdsson can't play together. Uh, here's a number for you, 2.17. That's the Everton's points per game when Rooney and Sigurdsson play together or started together in the Premier League under Sam Allardyce. 0.5 when they don't start with each other. So Allardyce, the man who will get you 12th if his life depends on it, <laughs> uh, appears to have plateaued after his start with Everton. All looked good when he was playing Rooney and Sigurdsson together, but now they're not starting together. He wants that 12th spot. 
Mm. He wants it badly. Uh, they kind of looked hopeless in that Arsenal game. They've looked a bit rough for a couple of months. And he's been there for, what, three or four months? Everton fans already sick of him. Uh, when he came out the other week and said, we need to be more boring, it's <laughs> almost impossible to be more boring than the way Allardyce sets up for <laughs> games against big teams. Mm. You either get nil-nil or you lose 5 nil. And this is speaking to the man who put up with it for four years. I've seen him go. I've seen him go to Arsenal, Chelsea, whatever, whatever. He'll he'll live off. We drew it away at Chelsea nil nil once, and he dined off of it for two years. Basically, got two contract extensions or something. Mm. I don't think he whatever. He saved his job, uh, saying that we played like 18th century football. Yeah, and it was all fun and games then. But then two years later, and you're still playing it, but you're playing it against someone in sixth. All of a sudden, it's like, do you know what, Allardyce? This is too boring. I believe in results, but like there has to be some entertainment involved. There's a lot to like about Allardyce, but I really don't like the oh, way. I'd have loved him as England manager, though. Yeah, I think that would have worked actually. Um, uh, Sean Dyche all the way, by the way. Um, but yeah, why not? But uh, <laughs> eating worms on the on yeah. the sidelines in Qatar, that'd be great. Um, but one thing I don't like is that he always takes the credit when his team wins and he always blames his players when they lose. Yeah, he calls them crap, doesn't he? It's he calls yeah. like the crap. last three games. <laughs> I really really don't like that. And um, a lot of people were saying, God, Everton were abject against Arsenal. Um, Arsenal were actually really, really good and they were difficult to play against. Allardyce got the tactics completely wrong. I mean, really, really all over the place. Um, and it's, it's always... F- for me, what happens, that new manager bounce that you get, I don't think it's necessarily uh, like a tactical innovation or sudden motivation. It always seems to be that he can motivate a few key players to play a lot better. And that has not happened at all. Mm, Kevin Nolan. Yeah. Yeah. He needs a Kevin Nolan. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole Sigurdsson-Rooney stat, you think that someone like Rooney would do quite well, even better under Allardyce, could Allardyce would cement his sort of senior status in the squad. But... Mm. That's not happening, and, and he's now dropping Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney scored more goals against Arsenal than any other player. Like, why would you not play him? He knows exactly how to play. He's been taught by Sir Alex Ferguson how to beat Arsene Wenger. <laughs> why would you not play him? It was absolutely crazy. And um, Everton only really perked up when Tom Davies came on. Um, some energy and dynamism in midfield to take take advantage of the fact that Granit Xhaka is there. Well, talking of sort of youth, energy and dynamism, also, yeah. what was he saying about Adam Ola? He wanted him to go to Bolton, didn't he? And then I his don't know what his exact were, yeah, but he, he wasn't happy about that. I think he said he was being stubborn and pushing the move through or something, uh, which is quite ironic given he's basically not given him a look in all season, uh, which is strange given... Well, <laughs> you, you watch Everton this season and I mean, the one quality they've had absolutely none of uh, at all is pace. They've just basically mm. in the summer seen to buy all the slowest players they could find. Loads of number 10s uh, like Davy Klassen, who they haven't used at all. Obviously Rooney, Sigurdsson, all very similar kinds of players. Um, but no pace at all. Obviously the Yannick Balassi injury happened um, and he's come back and I guess that's helped him a little bit, but he's still not quite up to his pre-injury form which is unsurprising but yeah Lookman he's one of those players I think was it on his debut he came on and scored against was it City, City or, wasn't it? or yeah. Arsenal it yeah. might have been he scored for his debut against RB Leipzig at the weekend as well yeah, yeah no exactly the so it's kind of surprising um, that he was so so critical of him uh, making a move which is clearly only to further his own development and you think you look at Everton's squad there's no reason to think he wouldn't massively help them at mm. the moment 
Okay. He was blasé about it afterwards as well, wasn't it? What did he say? He said something like, uh, yeah, well, I've got Balassi here who was 30 million, someone else who was 20 million, <laughs> and why would why would Lookman play? Well, money in everything. Yeah. Balassi, Balassi doesn't look... It's a bit worrying now. He's lost his pace. He's I lost think, his pace. Completely. He's lost, like, almost two yards of pace, which mm. for a... He, he looked incredible when he was doing all those skills on the wing because he was so quick that he could afford to do them and still beat yeah. his man, and that's not working anymore. Yeah. Um, the fact that Walcott's been their best player that's it, since, since, since he joined uh, tells you that Joel is absolutely 100% correct. They desperately needed that pace. Mm. Theo's, Theo's been excellent for them, and Everton fans are like, oh, wow, he's not just a quick bloke, he's got ec- excellent movement, which is exactly what they needed. So, yeah. um, and they let yeah, another was... couple go as well um, in terms of pacey wingers. I think Morales went... Back to yeah, it, yeah didn't understand yeah, that. I always thought he was a good player, and then uh, Aaron Lennon obviously went to Burnley on loan, um, never quite made it that well at Everton. But again, I mean they they're getting rid of all the, all the quick players that that's what they needed, I suppose. But yeah, the Walcott transfer, mm. I mean he has started well, um, but like you say, it's not a great indictment of where the site is at. Uh, yeah, when he's your star player at the moment, Walcott <laughs> for Lennon, the great Sven, Sven Joran Eriksson England squad switch. Yeah, <laughs> uh, what was this? Oh yeah, the, a couple of the Coman uh, signings as well. You're saying Klassen hasn't fit in. Mm. Was it Sandro Ramirez? He's gone yeah. as well, he's isn't gone, he? He's gone yeah. straight back. And Klassen, Klassen's gone somewhere on loan. Oh, Klassen's still there. He's still um, there because he was supposed. To, I think he he either agreed or a, a kind of. Talked about a move to Napoli, uh, which looked almost certain to go through. And then I can't remember Allardyce coming out with some weird quotes about it, but essentially the move didn't happen because of image rights and they couldn't <laughs> sort that out. Um, and he's still there, but mm. he looks like he's nowhere near the first team picture, which is mad given, what was it, 20, 20 odd million they spent on him, yeah. if not more. Big wages as well. What's yeah. interesting is that Ronald Koeman's taken the Netherlands job, so Davy Klaassen will probably be his starting <laughs> <Yeah>. midfielder. <laughs> He'll loan him out to he'll loan him out to Bosnia Herzegovina. <laughs> um, okay, let's let's move on to the Champions League. That comes back uh, next week. So seventeen, which is the number of Champions League games since Real Madrid last lost at home in the competition. But of course, PSG are the next visitors at the Santiago Bernabéu, mm. which is probably not how it's said. Uh, I would say last year you would said that was probably two of the favourites, but I don't know Real Madrid. I look horrible. At the moment, seems to be drawing to everyone. Uh, Ronaldo looks a little bit out of sorts, but this is only you know in comparison to Ronaldo mm. in different years. Uh, how long has Zidane got left? We're doing a lot of talking about managers going, but surely the pressure is on Zidane massively on this game because the league's gone, mm. and I think the Copa Real, the Copa del Rey's gone as well. Yeah, they've been it? knocked out of that. So yeah. this is everything for Real Madrid now, and if this doesn't go the right way, surely that's. Uh, the door for Zidane yeah I mean they've been it's, it's more than just a kind of a Champions League last 16 tie I think in terms of the kind of symbolic value of it as well against PSG who's kind of their whole business model and aspiration of a club is to be one of the next dominant forces in Europe Real Madrid have been that for the last three, four, five years in fact most of this century to be honest but obviously this recent team they've had with those Champions League trophies has been arguably one of the best club sides of modern times um, and I think what what is strange about that Real Madrid team 
obviously all the players they've got now are most of the ones that have delivered that success but they haven't really gone and built on that in terms of bringing in like a new star obviously Barcelona have gone and got Coutinho Dembele they lost Neymar but the side hasn't been refreshed so much and like you said their Ronaldo's I don't think anyone predicted obviously his decline would eventually happen but I don't think anyone predicted he'd kind of fall off a cliff in the way he has this season uh, we talk about players like Balassi have lost his pace but Ronaldo you rarely see him take a man on and beat him like he used to do um, his goals that he scores now are kind of often poachers finishes inside the six yard box which I suppose is part of his kind of evolution as a player what is he 33, 33 now 33 just turned 33 yeah. last week didn't he? yeah uh, I mean the, the, the way the way I see it is that Real Madrid are not really a club that give a shit about winning the league to be honest the, the, what matters for them is the Champions League they're, they're completely consumed with it as a club La Decima La Decima they've won two back to back and I think it's pretty to me, it's pretty clear that they're, they're all just saving themselves for two things, entirely for the Champions League and the World Cup. Mm. Because for Ronaldo, Sergio Ramos, Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, Karim Benzema, this this is their last World World Cup. Well, Karim Benzema probably won't get to the World Cup. But for, for a lot of those players, the, the stalwarts... Filming, uh, filming Deli Alley on Snapchat. Ribery's <laughs> <laughs> um, the intermediary. Um for, for a lot of those players, this is this is their last hurrah. So I'm really not surprised that they've put in some terrible performances in uh, in the league, um, and they're saving themselves for the the Champions League uh, and the World Cup. Uh, one big big thing for Real Madrid is Gareth Bale coming back because he is such a big moment player, um, and he's the sort of guy who can just turn a game on its head, a bit like Ronaldo could. A few years ago, Ronaldo is still probably the most decisive player in in Europe when it comes to these big games, uh, if only just for his aerial prowess uh, and movement in the box. But Gareth Bale being there means that moments of magic. I, I still think they, they've got way too much for PSG if they turn it on. The thing is, they haven't turned it on in ages. I don't think they've been trying that hard. Mm. Uh, PSG, far from perfect, I think it's it's fair to say. Obviously, absolutely walking away with the uh, French League League. Eh. You're, you're fluent in French. Mm. I think that's right, isn't it? Ligue 1, yeah. Okay, uh, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, snob. Uh, but, <laughs> but also, they look great in the group stages, but they have just signed Lasana Diara. Was it? Yeah, they have, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. And it's playing quite that, well as well. I think that shows that there was something missing in that midfield. There's a little bit of sort of grit missing the midfield. A lot of it relies on the front three. This, of course, the Mbappe derby sort of because he loves Real Madrid and loves Ronaldo that's the, the picture is it uh, his bedroom with the Ronaldo poster in it so it's not really Mbappe derby it is, it is for him though every game is I guess for Mbappe but yeah how's he going to play against Real Madrid because last year when it, uh, Mbappe scored six knockout goals Ronaldo was the only one who did better with ten yeah so what, what do you reckon of uh, Mbappe coming up against Real Madrid I think it's obviously really exciting as a team. They are very top-heavy, like you said. I um, mean, that front three, you look around Europe, I mean, there's obviously Man City, uh, Barcelona to an extent, Liverpool at times have looked good, but there's not many that can match PSG. Obviously, Cavani's probably having arguably the best season of his career. Um, his numbers have been unbelievable so far. Neymar's pretty much hit the ground running. Um, and obviously Mbappe as well. He's got pretty much everything you would want from a striker already, which is at the age he's at. Is he still 19 or is he 20 yet? Um, still 19. 19 yeah, yeah, which is unbelievable. Uh, you often look at kind of young strikers of that age are scoring goals, but there's usually kind of 
a big part of their game and they're missing or that be kind of their link up play um, or their finishing's a bit rash but he seems to more or less have it all and to be really exciting to see how he does kind of against one of the, like the world's greatest teams um, in recent years um, and yeah obviously as a tie I think that's probably probably the one of a round uh, you're looking at mm. um, and I think Real Madrid although they kind of do have a tendency to switch it on in the Champions League obviously in recent years they've been pretty much impenetrable there um, they have been really vulnerable this season obviously Spurs went went there uh, and got the win at the Bernabeu um, I think in terms of individual quality if if PSG I know you said if, if Real Madrid turn on they'll have too much but I still think PSG look at that if the front three click mm. and the midfield have got enough to support them I think they, they could embarrass them um, Di Maria's been flying for PSG recently as well him as well he? yeah yeah, there's so much attacking talent there but Luka Modric Tony Cruz if they get a foothold in the game it's, it's pretty much game over this this is what's happened for the past two years in every Champions League knockout round Tony Cruz and Luka Modric just look at each other and go do, do you fancy playing and they're like oh yeah sure no worries <laughs> and then it's just kind of game over for any team that tries to get near them mm. uh, the other games this week so we got Juventus Spurs Basel versus Man City Porto versus Liverpool and then Real Madrid and PSG so some pretty good ties there yeah. I, mean, I think the Juventus Spurs one is also a bit of a stand-up tie because Spurs don't have let's not get ourselves into thinking they have European pedigree they've got a couple of <laughs> decent results against Real Madrid and Borussia Dortmund obviously in the group stages but yeah. um, it'll be interesting to see them in a, in a proper test in the in the group stage, uh, sorry, the knockout stages. Yeah, how, how good are Juventus this season? I haven't really. They're, they're starting to pick work. up. They're second in Syria. They're just behind Napoli, who are who are quite the phenomenon. Mm. Um, Juventus are probably not as good as they've been in previous years, especially uh, in terms of dominating games. Uh, so there's definitely an opportunity there for Spurs. Uh, and they Spurs were so good in the in the group stages. I mean, you think of how they put Real Madrid and Borussia Dortmund to bed. Um, they look they look lethal. If they can rediscover some of that killer instinct, um, I think I think they, they've definitely got a chance. They're they're the sort of team that can really cause Juve problems as well. Mm. Um, Harry Kane is is has that good combination of strength and mobility. Deli Ali is the right amount of asshole and tall and quick and skillful. A viral hit, yeah, viral hit. Hung uh, Min Son is is perfect sort of uh, player to to expose a fullback, um, and they're 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 solid at the back, you know. So um, yeah, they, they've got the right combination of factors to to beat Juve, but obviously Juve have all that. All that experience. Yeah. They've got Higuain, you know, who's just just an excellent goal scorer in, in those sort of situations. Well. Dybala, yeah. who's who's absolutely electric. So um, yeah, it's it's going to be tough, but I think they've got a chance definitely. Uh, let's give it. Uh, let's talk about the other two as well. Basel versus Man City. Basel uh, capable of a plucky performance, but Man City are Man City. I think we can. Agree yeah, that I think that's a non-entity of a tie. Really, when I saw that one come out of the bag, I was, it was more or less a straight pass. I think. Yeah. But then you say that. How, how do you feel about Porto versus Liverpool? I think that's probably quite a favourable tie as well, isn't it? It is favourable. Uh, I think. I actually didn't really want Basel just because they've given Liverpool so many tricky games in recent years. Mm. Uh, kind of wanted to. The Mo Salah derby. It is. It yeah. is. Uh, Everything's well. a derby. Everything, yeah. Everything no, a derby. I think. I think well, Porto. Basel. Liverpool. I think yeah. Porto is favourable. Um, obviously, I think having a second leg at Anfield is massive. That really does help us. Mm. Um, again, I, think, I often find the Portuguese teams are quite difficult to judge because obviously they look. You look at their kind of league record; they look really impressive, um, and they have got some dangerous players. Obviously, Brahimi uh, is one to watch. Uh, very skillful player as well. Um, 
I think Liverpool, this competition, I think, is one that could suit Liverpool just in the sense that they're a team that when they click and if they get some momentum going, I think it sounds arrogant saying it as a fan, but you do feel like if they turn up and everything goes to plan, they are capable more or less of beating any team on their day. Mm. Um so in that sense, it's, it's more about getting past Porto at this stage. I think if we got if we do get past this one and we got a team, say like Bayern Munich or something next, I think I would have confidence that we could go far. Uh, it's just about not being complacent. Uh, I think Porto, in terms of profile, probably quite a similar match to maybe Sevilla, who we obviously had in the group stage, mm. um, and obviously they weren't easy. We drew against them twice, so it's definitely I wouldn't look at that in the same way as Basel v Man City, which I think is kind of pretty straightforward I think it will be difficult um, especially the away away leg but if we can go there um, pick up a draw a narrow win or even just keep it to a kind of even if we do lose make sure it's only one um, I think coming back to Anfield there's a lot of confidence we could go through that yeah I think I, Seville was your only real slip in a group wasn't it weren't, yeah, weren't you like we, playing with it wasn't it 7-0 like something in some of your other games we beat Spartak 7-0 in the final one to qualify um, yeah so, Seville was, was strange I think in both games we kind of we look, where we look vast no, no completely right <laughs> Arsenal we, uh, fan here I know it when I see it <laughs> yeah, no, I think at Anfield we, uh, we went 1-0 down obviously went 2-1 up had a penalty which Firmino hit the post with I think had he scored that we would have gone on to win quite comfortably mm. and then found ourselves 3-0 up by half time away and managed to throw that one away didn't matter in the end um, I think that that is the concern um, with Liverpool but even, say we went to Porto away got ourselves two goals early on Um you wouldn't have an awful lot of confidence they'd be able to see it out um, which is obviously what we're going to have to do if they want to go far in this competition just on just on the Basel City game I bet you anything City will win both legs 3-0 and Pep afterwards will say something like Basel are the best team I've ever played in he my manager that, yeah. career they're <laughs> absolutely go incredible shout at one of them yeah yeah go on shout at one of them like punch him in the face a wonderful like, attacking yeah, player I punched him hard because I think he was brilliant <laughs> and I just want to punch him <laughs> alright let's yeah, move on so I'm embarrassed to ask I'm embarrassed to ask Right, lads. I think, and and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I think I might not know what a dive is because basically there's these retroactive bands, right? Mm-hmm. And when West, this is me being biased, but West Ham played Stoke. Yeah, Lanzini dived for a penalty, but there was contact. But the the justification was he was already on his way down, mm. and he got like a two or three game ban for it. Then Harry Kane. Everyone was saying, well, that's very clever striker play. He was horizontal by the time there was contact uh, with Carius this week. Yeah. And everyone's saying, oh, that's clever play. What is the difference between a dive? Why are people now saying, Joe, you know what? Diving, it's, it's a skill. Someone said it's like a step over. Who said that? Michael Cox. Quite unbelievably, Michael Cox said it in a, in, in a sort of uh, an odd moment of hot takeness from him. I'm, I'm sure he'd he'd argue it till the day he dies because he's very good at arguing. But uh, yeah, the, the confusion around diving is that it's not actually you don't get booked for diving; you're booked for simulation, which is why if you go past someone, stick your leg out, hit, make contact, and then go down. That's that's simulation. You're trying to deceive the referee using a, by simulating a foul. That's the key thing. And that's what Harry Kane did against Liverpool for the first penalty. He simulated uh, the fact that he had been fouled. Uh, and it's something that a lot of teams do. 
Uh, it's not within the, the laws of the game, in inverted commas. And, um, you know, unlike Stepovers, it's not something that fans necessarily like to see because it seems uh, a bit backhanded, uh, it seems unfair. Pochettino's um, sort of assertion that it's like, oh, well, you you know, it's, it's, it's a part of football. You know, it's, it's, it's a sort of a skill. It's like you, you have to trick your, your opponent. It's like, yeah, I, I get what you're saying and, like, I appreciate the honesty, but... Well, it's no. like changing pieces in chess or something. It's like, aha, yeah, well, I tricked you when you weren't looking. Yeah, it's, he's not saying it. It's breaking if it the happens rules. the other way around, I think. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's. I know he's not condoning it, but he's saying that it's it's part of the game. And it's refreshing to see, uh, it is refreshing to see a manager be honest about it. But to the sort of bandwagon to say that it's, uh, oh, well, you know, it's like step over. You're essentially deceiving your player. It's like, well, then you're getting into the semantics of like of ethics within within a sport, which is within a really life. which is a really weird territory to be in to basically justify the fact that uh, an English a, player dived. Right? Yeah, a, a manager is quite clearly instructing his players to go down or to simulate. I mean, this is happening very very often with Spurs now, along with mm. some pretty pretty awful tackling and Pochettino was a very very physical player uh, played for uh, a really pretty aggressive uh, Argentina team uh, and you know it's it's quite clear that while there's a lot to love about him his tactics and his team he is instructing his players to play on the on the line on the grey line uh, of, of, of the laws of the game and I really just wish they, they wouldn't do it because I really like this iteration of the Spurs team I think they're the best team the best they've ever been and they're fantastic to watch but I don't think you need to, to dive that much and get away with all this silly business yeah on that note Deli Alley, uh, mm. the most booked player for diving since 2012-2013 <laughs> season in the Premier League I think Gareth Bale's been booked four times for diving yeah. but that's on the continent that's fine that doesn't count uh, Wilfred Zaha Deli Alley, Cesc Fabregas all been booked three times for diving and it, I think there's another English player in there that's been booked maybe twice. I think maybe Raheem Vardy, Sterling. maybe, perhaps. Vardy, probably. Vardy's very s- clever at kind of the ones where he buys the foul, winning yeah. a penalty by getting his, his leg tangled in a goalkeeper or yeah. something like that. A- Adam yeah. Smith as well, of, oh, Bourne- yeah. of Bournemouth. Yeah, he's a sly one. Sure. Yeah, mm. you wouldn't think it. What did you think of the uh, Dale Feo one uh, the other night? I thought that was more of a penalty than the obviously the Kane one against Carriers. I think that there was more contact on Courtois' part there. Um yeah, I didn't have a problem with that. I don't know if that's just me as a Liverpool fan with my red glasses on. Um, but I thought, talking about kind of the nature of diving and what exactly defines it, is it cheating? Is it just being clever? And that I think the Kane one, if you look at, obviously, on the replay and you kind of slow it down and watch what he's doing, he's almost kind of lost interest in the ball at that point and is kind of fixated on Carrius, makes a kind of unnatural movement so his leg ensures that he touches a goalkeeper and the actual contact itself is pretty minimal but it is him who's initiating it and in a sense it is hard to blame a player like that because they're in a high pressure game they want to do everything they can to win um, and like Pochettino says he thinks that's clever intelligent uh, he's, he's trying to do everything he can to get a foul uh, get a penalty and score a goal I think the responsibility ultimately comes down uh, to the referees to kind of see through things like that and um, I think in some cases it is very clear cut I mean we were talking about Deli Alley just now his his dive in the Liverpool game was one of the worst ones I've seen that was, that was pathetic but, but he, he knew it himself he got up and was just like yeah sorry and it's a great picture afterwards of uh, Lovren and Robertson just giving him a mouthful um, but yeah he, he's got himself a bit of a reputation for that and 
you wonder, obviously coming up this weekend, uh, whether that's something referees will have a particular eye on when it comes to Spurs, um, especially given Pochettino's comments where he's more or less come out and said, I think this is appropriate and I'm happy for my players to kind of use these tactics. Yeah, and what do we think about this retrospective ban thing? Because obviously I went on a bit of a... <laughs> went on a bit of a detour of the Lanzini thing. Because that, that wound me up because uh, Niassi got banned for it as well, didn't he? Mm. Yeah. Are you allowed to get banned if you've been booked in the game or is it only if the referee yeah, so missed they can, it? They can. It's weird. If they catch you, you don't get the ban. But then, you know, we, we get no, 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 they, Pochettino they, coming out and saying, well, he's, he's won it. They, they do. They do. You can. So even if you get a yellow card, they, they can, like, increase the, 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 the ban. Um, they, they increase the powers this season. I think when there, there's... I, feel, I do feel sorry for the ref and even the ref's committee afterwards because there's an element of subjectivity into it which you, you, really, you really can't avoid. Um, frank, frankly, from my point of view, like the Delhi Alley dive. I mean, if if we're looking at retroactive bans, that that should be a retroactive ban. I, I don't see how that doesn't fall within that remit. Um, but do you, you know. do you think there's a thing here? Because I, I was wondering this after the game, and obviously, kind of as a supporter, you're kind of reactive and you're emotional straight after dropping yeah. two points against yeah. a rival. But I have thought this before. With Spurs, obviously, Deli Ali and Kane talk about two of England's golden boys, World Cup year. Is there a thing there? Do you think the kind of the media Maybe, sort of yeah. do give him an easier rise um, than, say, other players? You look at obviously Suarez came with the reputation he had. He also bit people, which obviously yeah. isn't great, and the racism and all that. But I think, like, <laughs> well, you, you think you think that. But uh, another example of where that doesn't apply is, for example, Troy Deeney after scoring against Chelsea this week gave a massive two fingers up <laughs> to yeah. flip, flip, double flip the bird to the crowd, and the <laughs> FA have decided, you know what, that's fine. But a few years ago, Jack Wilshire did something similar. Yeah. Uh, he flipped the birds to uh, opposition fans and he got a two-match ban for it. Yeah. And Wilsh- Wilshire was in the England squad at the time, so I don't know where the consistency is here. Yeah. Or old Jay Barton showing his bum to the uh, yeah. Everton fans. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's just never any consistency for the from the FA. They'll give, you know, they'll give John, they give Suarez, what was it, an eight-game ban? I think it was, yeah. And they'll give, you know, a similar, a six-game ban for spitting. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sorry, but I think you know, racism is worse than spitting. Yeah. But I think it's controversial, not controversial, I know. Yeah, I mean it depends on the motive behind the spitting, I guess. <laughs> I think it's sort of nigh on impossible to expect consistency from the referees in those instances because like we said, so much of it is down to kind of personal interpretation in a split second yeah, of what exactly. you think has happened. And often they don't have the best view of what's happened. They don't get to watch the replays. I don't want to get into the whole VAR debate, but I think it is down to the FA to kind of be consistent in their like you said, the retrospective action. Um but there are other instances of this season where it's just it is difficult to tell what what is kind of outright cheating or not. The one that sticks out to me obviously is the uh, the Calvert Lewin penalty against Liverpool. Yeah. And I've seen so many people say that Stonewall. What is Lovren doing? As a as a supporter, I was wishing, well, why are you putting your hands up? Like you don't need to do that. He's going away from goal. Uh, and again, it's, it was similar uh, to the Kane one where sort of he's lost interest in the ball. He's doing everything he can to get his body in front of the defender. And you see that all the time. Vardy's kind of the master at it. Hazard's pretty good at it as well. Um, and it is difficult to say in those instances. Is the attacker just doing everything that he can to get his team the points? Um, whose responsibility is it to kind of punish that or reward it? I'm not sure. But I think I think it does come down to the FA afterwards to kind of have some sort of barometer of consistency in terms of their punishments I think we can all agree justice for Lanzini (laughs) (laughs) it's glad that we got there in the end (laughs) alright let's move on to the next section who's this fella who's this fella alright then lads tell me about this Palace player their new signing Alexander 
Sorloth, is it pronounced? I don't know. The O's got a line for it. Nick, you know languages. What, what does that? O, what does the O of the line? I think for it's it a mean? sort of U sound. It's like the Sorloth. Umlaut, I think it's yeah. in German. Oh, Sorloth. Sorloth. Yeah. Sorloth. <laughs> I believe. Sorry, any Norwegian listeners who I might be offending <laughs> with my uh, crappy interpretation there. So, Bakri Sacco injured. Think out for the season. Mm. Zaha's injured long term mm. as well. Yeah, mm. they're unsure. I think he's going to have some sort of scan on his knee, but it doesn't look great. And and Benteke is. As as you'll know, Joel, is Benteke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, this Norwegian bloke with the funny O in his name. Yeah. I'm, I'm shrugging, listeners. It's, I'm shrugging. I mean, it's an interesting signing. Uh, Scandinavian strikers in the Premier League. Roy Hodgson bloody loves it, doesn't he? He loves it. Loves uh, a bit of Scandinavia. Typically not. I bet he watches The Bridge all the time. <laughs> He's just got the killing and Without the bridge subs- on yeah, repeat. Yeah, yeah, Without yeah. subtitles. Just loves those gritty, <laughs> gritty crime dramas. Um, it's a really interesting signing. It's, it's a bit of a gamble uh, because... You know, how much do they pay for him? It's ten million. Ten million. Yeah. So it's not it's not a gamble in terms of um, cost, but in terms of who they the per, the profile of player they brought in. It's it's a big gamble because you're you're probably losing the pace of Zaha for the whole season, and he's been their best player. So uh, to bring in another target man is quite controversial. Uh, this lad is just an absolute tank. He's six foot three. He's absolutely enormous. Uh, he's surprisingly quick especially off the mark uh, he's quite skillful in wide areas as well he loves to beat his man which is very surprising when he's six foot three and built like a brick shit house um yeah he's, he's very interesting he, he can score goals probably the most interesting thing about him is that if if anybody knows uh football um analytics twitter you'll know about ted nutson yeah, go on uh you know about ted nutson who uh works as a, as an advisory scout for a lot of clubs and he's the he's the guy i'm led to believe who uh who works he's worked with brentford and Midtjylland, who are sort of sister clubs and he's the guy who recommended that Midtjylland uh buy him i believe that's the case i might be wrong so honigan uh, sort of uh sold sold him and he's been absolutely tearing it up there uh, he's got 15 goals and 9 assists in 26 games across all competitions this season uh, and Crystal Palace have decided do you know what Benteke's not doing it as a hold up man um, let's let's take a punt so uh, yeah really interesting to see how, how he gets on because um, it's quite a unique skill set. I love players with unique skill sets like that. Guys like Deli Ali, where it's just like you—you you shouldn't be playing in the final third. What are you doing up there? Um, so yeah, he's—he's going to surprise a lot of people because he's so quick and he's so strong and he's so big. You've—you've uh, you've had Roy Hodgson as manager before. Does this I have, unfortunately. Stink, <laughs> stink of a Hodgson signing for you? Um, it's hard to know what to make of it. I'm not going to pretend I've ever watched a guy before. Um, but from what you've read about him and his attributes. I mean, it does sound like an interesting one. I think from from where Palace are now, I think obviously they had that horrendous start where they went however many games it was without a win and without a goal scored. Uh, and they've, they've somehow pulled themselves, I wouldn't say completely out of the relegation fight, but you'd be very surprised if they found themselves back down there. So it doesn't scream of kind of a break glass. We need this guy to score the goal to keep us in the Premier League. It mm. just seems like a really an interesting signing. And like you say, uh, Christian Benteke is there. Um, he, there's nothing ever surprising about Benteke. You know exactly what he's good at, what he can't do. Um, he'll go on a purple patch of scoring five goals in five games and then disappear for a couple of months. Um, so if you're a Crystal Palace fan, uh, you're probably quite excited by this guy in terms of 
what he sounds like he can bring. He's obviously, like you said, I think when I read him up earlier, I think he said he was six foot five. Um, he he's six looked, five. Yeah, he's, he's massive. He's growing. He's <laughs> live on yeah. this podcast. He's growing. Um, they, they needed to replace Sacco because he's been he's been really useful for them up front. He's he's been tireless runner, runs the channels, holds the ball up well. So it, it makes sense in that respect. Yeah, and uh, I think also in terms of that, so many Premier League defenses know Ben Teke now to a T exactly how you deal with him you're just physical you don't give him any any room in the air basically and then you more or less kind of negate his key strengths um, whereas this guy I don't imagine many defences have a clue what they're going to do with um, so it's a bit of an unknown quantity Do you remember when Benteke versus Lukaku was an actual debate? <laughs> Not anymore Every day for me <laughs> uh, So yeah how much yeah, I'm, I'm reading here 15 goals 9 assists and 26 games across all competitions this season but it's always such a gamble, isn't it, when it comes from a different league? Sometimes it's just like the the change in quality is fine, but yeah, his num- F- numbers Midget, aren't great. Midgetland, yeah, yeah. from Midgetland, yeah. Well, they they caused United the uh, problems a couple yeah. of years ago. They're very very good outfit. We signed Winston Reid from Midgetland. Yeah, well, th- there you go. Uh, and he's small for a centre back. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, Palace are 14th now. They look like they're safe. Roy Hodgson's done an unbelievable job. So they might have an eye on the future as well. I think it's just a gamble. They need a, they needed a striker to replace Sacco. Benteke's been awful this season. Um, so it, it's a gamble. It's probably the best they could get. Um, I, I imagine that there's someone who's really into analytics at Crystal Palace who said, let's take a punt on him. Because mm. it's, the, it's basically it's a sort of play that's massively undervalued. Because uh, because he has a unique skill set, so um, mad at it. Ten million quid is undervalued. Yeah, yeah. Well, someone you, yeah. you don't know. Yeah, it's almost unheard of that. Yeah. yeah, instead of taking a punt on a recognised Premier League failed striker like I don't know Dwight Gale or something, they I was decide, gonna say the yeah. amount of kind of English strikers they've gone through in recent years. Obviously, yeah. Cameron Jerome, Fraser Campbell, like they could have easily gone out and bought another one like that. Like a Darren Bent or something like that, you know. Um, <laughs> it's it, from Darren from, Bent from Burton to Crystal Palace in the space of a week. <laughs> it's yeah, it's more interesting, I guess. Mm. All right, then let's move on to the stats showdown. Stats showdown. So here we are, the most intense moment of what is normally a very relaxed podcast, unless we're talking about the injustice around Manu Manu Lanzini. Uh, stats showdown time. Best two out of three stats wins. Impress me stats that I can flirt with blokes in the pub with, mm. as I always say. Although I've never done that, but I would if someone impresses me enough with a stat in this showdown. Uh, Joe, it's your first time on. I'm going to bless you with the honour of going first. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so my first one uh, surprised me, actually, when I read it. Um, so I've all the players in the Champions League in the group stages so far this season... Um, who's got the most assists now obviously you'd, you'd think it would be maybe someone like Lionel Messi perhaps Neymar um, all these quality players there but no uh, the player with the most assists uh, which is five is James Milner uh, for Liverpool <laughs> and uh, I believe he actually got three of these in one half I think he came on as a substitute at left back uh, I think against Spartak Moscow in a 7-0 win got himself three assists in 45 minutes there and yeah no players created more goals in the group stages than him James Milner Europe's true Trequartista the truest of the true. The truest of the true Trequatistas prote- posing as a left-back. Mm. But really, he's an artiste. Mm. Nick, what have you got in reply? Well, Rob, I, I know you, you like you like surprising stats. I, I, I love being shot. Stats that surprise you. Yeah. Stats that sort of challenge your 
your preconceived notions about yeah. football. One of those big preconceived notions in football that's been around in the Premier League for, for years and years and years is Wenger. He, Wenger teams don't like it up them, do they? Well, they they don't. don't like it up them. They don't like managers who name a physical 11. Managers like Sam Allardyce. Wenger, Big Sam. Ooh, this is bogey manager, isn't he? Mm. Incorrect. Would it surprise you if I told you that Wenger has actually beaten Big Sam more often than any other manager ever? 20 times. I'm going to tell you that no, it doesn't surprise me. I said, <laughs> I said earlier, Nick, you either get nil-nil or you get beaten 5-0. I've witnessed it. What do you mean you've witnessed it? I've witnessed like nine of those 20 times. I was oh, there. I forgot, I forgot about the West Ham <laughs> slant on these stats. I need to remember. Joel, you've waltzed into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. Nick, you, you talked the talk, but you didn't walk the walk at all. If Big Sam had not an- if, managed if West was, Ham, that would have been an easy ignorant point. If I was a more ignorant man, and it's If you didn't support West Ham, this would be a banker. That would have been a banker. Oh, dear. Joel, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. You're right. I, if I didn't support West Ham, if I was more of a dinosaur... But remember, Big Sam's been at about eight different Premier League clubs now. You were, you were hoping <laughs> that you know I was ignorant and didn't support any of the eight ones that weren't the top six. I wasn't hoping you're ignorant. I know you're ignorant. <laughs> That's true. That's the concept of the podcast. All right, stop insulting me and come with the second stat. <laughs> second stat. All right. All right. We were talking about diving earlier. All right. I never stop. You never stop. The most booked player for simulation, right, basically diving, in the Premier League since 2011-12 is Gareth Bale with six yellow cards. In the Premier League only, he still holds that record. Astonishing, right? Yeah. Would it surprise you to know that he's not received a single yellow card for diving or simulation since he's moved to La Liga? Wait, so I was completely wrong earlier. I didn't want to say. I was saving it for the stats showdown. Oh, my God. I think... Oh. So he's still top of the diving list. Still he's been top gone. of the diving list since he's been gone, Kelly Clarkson. Oh. I can breathe for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Joel. That's a tough one to follow Stunning. up. That's a good one. Yeah. If you, if, see, I've made you look like a mug with the first one. <laughs> and you made me look like a right Wally with the second one. I can't read. I had it written in front of me. Yeah, uh, so I've got a good one here. Um, so obviously Juventus um, kind of made a name for themselves in the last few years with that back three, infamous back three of Chiellini, Barzagli, Bonucci. Obviously Bonucci went to AC Milan in the summer. Um, obviously Buffon and goals very much coming to the twilight of his career. Um and we're used to in the Premier League watching the top teams concede quite a lot of goals really obviously Man City conceded four in one games in Liverpool just a few weeks ago uh, United renowned for being defensively solid under Mourinho conceded two against Spurs uh, in midweek the other week uh, and here we are Juventus now um, in their last 15 games across all competitions have conceded a single goal not bad is it? it is it is not bad but I have to say, Joel, Nick made me look like an idiot there and I think it would be unfair. <laughs> it'd be unfair not to give him the point for... All level. For... I appreciate that. I appreciate... Laying it back in. I appreciate the candour. That's what... That's what. Yeah. That's what long established... Because so much of the stats... So much of the stat showdown is about visceral emotion. <laughs> and you, you say that to anyone in the pub. They'll, they'll <laughs> this is, this is how I... This is what I'm talking about. This is how I f- flirt with blokes watching football. <laughs> 
look, you know, like stats are about visceral emotions. <laughs> they say I wake up on the floor outside the pub. Like, oh, my eye hurts. Uh, who went first? I can't remember. Joel, you went first, oh, didn't first, you? Yeah. This is the, the decider. And my last one. As always, somehow it's ended up one all. How does it happen? God, the, the narrative is so unpredictable in the stat showdown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is a good one and again quite surprising uh, it's also Champions League group stages related um, so it won't be much of a surprise to anyone uh, that Cristiano Ronaldo with uh, nine goals and one assist obviously ten in total uh, contributed the most goals of any individual player in the group stages this season um, but the second most uh, goal contributions in terms of goals and assists goes to a player um, who gives so much more than that to his all-round game. He, uh, there's been a conversation around Liverpool for quite some time, really, since Luis Suarez left, that they've lacked that 20-goal season striker. Uh, obviously, Mo Salah's come in this season, done brilliantly. He's on 28 this season, but they haven't had that number nine who's been able to get 20, 25 goals. Daniel Sturridge has had his injuries. Ricky Lambert came in, gave it a go. Balotelli gave it a go, but it's never <laughs> I quite love, worked. I love Ricky Lambert being thrown in here. Shout yeah, out to Ricky to, Lambert. had to get a mention. Um, <laughs> and yeah, a certain Brazilian, he, he came from Hoffenheim and was a number 10. Jurgen Klopp came in and made him a focal point of his attack. Um, and he gives so much to the team in terms of his defending from the front, his pressing, his numbers off the ball. He makes more tackles than most defenders in the Premier League. Um, but in the Champions League group stages this season, Roberto Firmino has the second most direct goal contributions uh, with six goals and three assists, equal with Neymar, his compatriot, of any player in the group stages. OK. Firmino, as good as Ronaldo. Not quite, but second to Ronaldo. This is what you're competing with, Nick. Mm, it's apt because my stat is about... As good as Neymar. As good as Neymar. Well, yeah. it's good that you mentioned Ronaldo because my stat is about Cristiano Ronaldo. Wow. Real Madrid have a good record in the Champions League recently. Semi-finals, finals, wins for fun. Mm -hmm. Since 2011, Ronaldo has only failed to score in just three Champions League knockout rounds. Only three since 2011. He is Mr. Knockout Round. He is. I feel like I'm. I haven't felt visceral emotion there. The Bale one was better. I'll give you that. Mm. But okay, I'm weighing it up. <laughs> See, I'm more. I would say I'm more surprised by Firmino, Firmino even being mm. as good as Neymar mm. than I am Ronaldo scoring a lot in knockout rounds because being Real Madrid's highest ever goal scorer, which I think he is, in the Champions League. Oh, in the Champions League, yeah. And the Champions League all-time highest goal scorer. you telling me that he scores a lot in the Champions League. I hear you. That's fair. So I'm going to go for Joel. The debutant. <laughs> Congratulations, Joel. Comes yeah. in. Means a lot. Uh, Joel, the, the reward, which everybody wants, the finest trophy of them all, you basically get to say first where people can find you on the internet. Uh, Joel underscore Archie on Twitter and let me up there yeah. Yeah. it'd be great if one of these days someone said where can I find you on the internet it's like well you can install a sort of stalkering program <laughs> here's my Facebook page have at it you know yeah just just go on to and then just something completely not to do with football <laughs> so yeah if you go on to gardenersworld.com I do some great blogs there I'm an admin of the forum for dog owners in the northeast. Uh Nick where can we find your great French translation sites <laughs> Uh, Nick W English on on Twitter. Uh, that's that's all I'm willing to share right now. <laughs> he, he tweets in French. 
English and the language of love. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rob Armstrong underscore WH. And of course, you can find this podcast on Deezer where you find loads of great podcasts, football playlists and even live Premier League commentary. Uh, download the app, go to the website and we'll see you next time on Defending in Numbers. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. 